Good evening, everybody. This is your host, Jeff Morton, and my co-host, Dina Dye, is with me. Hi, Dina. Shalom, Jeff. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing, doing pretty good. And right. I, know you're, I know you're doing well. You're getting ready to head off to Ireland. What, you're leaving tomorrow? Yes, I am. I am all packed up. Uh, I don't have to leave at 5 in the morning, so for that, I am eternally grateful. And, uh, yeah, I'll be spending the whole day tomorrow flying over there. With your mom and your sister? Yeah, I'll, be, I'll meet them there. They live in Canada, so they're flying from there. So we okay. will meet in Dublin at the hotel, and, and I'm really be, looking forward to that. You'll, you'll be gone. You, we won't see you back until the 21st on the program. No, I'll be back the 16th, but, yeah, I'll be the back 16th. on the program the 21st. 21st. Yeah, in the meantime, folks, we're going to have Ryan White, uh, rooted in Tory. He's going to join us for those two weeks that Dina's going to be gone. He'll be here on the 7th and the 14th. And we're going to talk about uh, new creation. And uh, he's got a wonderful teaching on that. And so we're going to get involved in that and dabble a little bit and allow him to come on and share. And then I want to tell you, too, we're going to have uh, Dr. Chris Green. He wrote a book called God's Healing Code, A Biblical Prescription, Restoring Body and Soul. We'll probably have Dr. Green on uh, early part of July. We want to make sure we read the book. And uh, Dina's got one on her on her on on its way to her. Probably won't reach you until you uh, take off. But at the same time, I've been reading this book for a couple of days now. It's uh, if you're a Torah-based, gospel-believing person, this book uh, is all about how the body was designed, how food interacts with the body from a Hebraic perspective. I find this book fascinating. It's a hardcover. It's well worth the read. And I guess Danny Bengigi and Frank Seekins were instrumental in working with Dr. Chris on the book. So I look forward to having Dr. Chris Green on the program here in a couple of weeks. And uh, tonight we're going to do we're going to do a little something different. You know, I've been I've been going back through Dina's book The Temple Revealed and I I said, "Well, Dina, can I can we talk a little bit more about your book tonight?" So tonight we're going to talk a little bit more about Dina's book The Temple Revealed in Creation. Uh and, uh, Dina, I wanted to ask you, you've got several books that you're getting ready to write in this series. Why don't you tell us, uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about why you, what what caused you to start this project, produce this book, and uh, the one you're working on now. And and give me the names of the books that you're, you plan on writing as a follow-up. Sure. Well, you know, I've been at this a really long time, and all the 35 years now, and all through those years of research and study, I wanted to write something, but I could never figure out a topic. And plus, I'm my self-discipline was <laughs> not so great. So I just, just you know, you know how that goes. And so about, I would say, four to five years ago, I, you know, I don't even remember the process, but the the whole concept of the temple began to emerge. But it was in just kind of pieces here and there, and it, I didn't really see the big picture. And it, I would say about three years ago, suddenly it just, I could, I got it. You know how you're like, you're just beating your head against the wall for, with stuff, and then suddenly there it appears and it completely makes sense. But we're talking, this is a huge topic. And I was trying to figure out a way, it, it initially it was going to be one big book. Uh, as I tell people, it probably would have been a thousand pages that nobody would have purchased. So. I thought, you know, I've got to synthesize this down, make it, you know, accessible, easy to read, and, and so I wanted it to, to be sort of topical and go together. 
clearly starting with creation makes sense. And so the first volume was the temple revealed in creation, which just sets the tone for the rest of the books. I mean, you got to start at the beginning if you're going to understand the house of God. And from here, I, the book I'm working on now is the temple revealed in the garden. I'm about halfway through writing that one. It's really been a huge challenge because there are the, it's the, as though the father is downloading things into my brain that I connections I never had made before, and so I've had to take time to process it. After this one's done, uh, the next one will be the temple revealed in Noah's Ark, because and this is one of the interesting things too. Like as far as the garden goes, I can't even tell you how many scholars have material dealing with the garden. It's like voluminous and it's hard. I've read I don't know I probably read a hundred books but when you get to the to Noah's Ark there's virtually nothing I dare say I haven't found one book completely devoted to the topic now there's scholars here and there they made a passing reference like GK Beale has and an NT right but it's not an area or topic anyone's gone into with any detail so I'm going to devote an entire book just to that and then after that, it'll be the temple revealed in the tents of the patriarchs because, of course, God made the covenant with Abraham, and that was a creation restoration covenant. And so from that point on, we see that the patriarchs pitching their tents, and the presence of God was in their midst. So these are temple patterns. And then after, I'm not sure what to follow, but in time, I'll, be have, I'll have a book, uh, The Temple Revealed in the Gospels, so that we start to... Understand. I mean, I tie them as I go through these books, but we're really going to focus in on temple language and the Gospels. And the last one I do is will be completely devoted to the book of Revelation, that the, the temple revealed in that book. So, I mean, I've got a lot of... Uh, <laughs> I don't have a lot of time, but I have a lot of material. So hopefully before I die, I'll be able to get all of this finished. <laughs> well, you know, that's... It's, it'll it'll be a remarkable based on the first book, which I've read twice now. Uh, it'll be a remarkable thing to uh, to pass along to folks. But hang on, my this giant cat just jumped up here and <laughs> got in my way. <laughs> um, you mentioned download, and I'm gonna I want to explore that for a moment because here's the thing, folks that that has been the most frustrating but also the most liberating experience of my life. Ten years ago, I met Pastor Mark Bills, and while meeting him, I got a download. And the thing that happened to me was that the whole religious perspective or lens that I had had as a Christian was wiped out of my mind. And so I've been trying to put all this together, and one of the things that continues to happen is learning the details, learning the minutia, learning how everything worked, how what the what the the ornaments were that were in the tabernacle. All of these things are not religious; right. they are kingdom protocol about the establishment of the kingdom. And so, the thing that I find most refreshing about Dina's work is that she we're not talking about understanding a religious viewpoint. We're talking about understanding uh, what the Father is doing, irrespective of what we've done to what he's doing, because he's still doing it. Now, Dina, in your book, you talk about the world outside of time. Uh, 
explain that to the audience a little bit better. What do, okay. what do you mean by that? Well, I've never been there, so it's a bit hard to explain. Um, it, it sort of birthed out of, in Judaism, they have two terms. Uh, the olam haba, this world, the present world we live in, governed by the laws of nature, and the olam hazeh, the world outside of time. And so we recognize when God created the world, he, create the first, he created time. And so we are governed by, you know, the, the three dimensions of time, you know, law, uh, length, width, space, you know, all that sort right. of stuff. But God does not dwell in our, you know, in time. He dwells outside of time. And so the world beyond, the world outside of time is the place of his presence. Now he longs to dwell in time with his people. But there are certain conditions that have to be met for in order for that to take place. And I, I've just sort of determined that, you know, when a, when a miracle kind of breaks through from the other side, sounds a bit, you know, Star Wars-y or something. But that is as is, is though that there's, I, I'm trying to explain this, it doesn't sound like I'm an alien from Mars. But it's as though a portal opens and, you know, the essence of who he is comes through. And then, you know, a miracle goes on of some kind. You, you know, you've shared in your life miracles like that. And so God is, the Holy of Holies came to represent in the temple. It wasn't actually, but it represented behind the curtain, which was acted as though it was the firmament, beyond the world uh, outside of time. So things were sort of, uh, they weren't governed by time in the Holy of Holies. It was a supernatural world. That's the picture that we get. So the, I mentioned a few weeks ago this idea of the tripartite structure, which was very important in the ancient world. And so always within the tripartite structure was this area, this inner chamber, this holy sanctum, where the god of the ancient world dwelled, and of course where our god dwells outside of time. So that's kind of a, a basic explanation. I've I touched on it quite a bit in my book, so I would encourage people, you know, if they want more information to, to read the book to get a better sense of it. Well, you know, we, we can we can cite many, many examples where God is interacting with man. Uh, and it's not like he's all of a sudden come from this place in order to to, to reveal himself to us. It's it's simply he's here. Right. And but then he see, just... that's the significance of the temple. That is where he is revealed. So if all of the cosmos is a temple, that's where he's revealed. He is always revealed within the context of his house, his temple. Well, the thing that fascinates me, and continues to fascinate me, is the two cherubim. They were placed at the entrance to the place outside of time, if you will, according mm -hmm. to the way you've written your book. But that place where they were placed is here in the earth. It's not some ethereal place right. because Adam and Eve could not enter that place, right. which was here. Yes. Do you think those cherubim are still there, or do you believe that uh, the Messiah kind of collapsed that? I'm well, curious about that. Well, we have, you know, we, it's clear we are not, uh, we haven't reached the fullness of the kingdom. Right. So I would personally connect them with the time in which heaven and earth are restored as one, where there's no longer a division between the two spheres. I don't know how that looks, but you know, we have the description in Revelation of the great golden cube coming down from heaven right. to join the earth. 
And so I see it, uh, if we started in Genesis chapter 1, we have this thing called the Yom Achad, I've talked about that in the past, of this concept of one day, this whole unit. And then out of that whole unit, the days came. And then it's restored back to that whole unit again. So I believe when we are restored to what we call a Yom Achad or a one day, the kingdom is in its fullness, and I believe that's when the revelation of the cherubim, the cherubim, will, we will see. Well, it's very interesting, and I agree with you, because we don't have access to the sacred place. We can't come and right. go. Right. Uh, and, of course, Adam and Eve, there was no barrier to them uh, as the high priest in, in the position that they were appointed to. They didn't have a barrier. So I'm thinking, as I read your book, folks, and please... Go to Dina's website. You, if you don't have the book, get the book. It'll help you. Uh, it gives a, another whole paradigm shift as to how to see the story uh, of Genesis 1. If we can establish this kind of world outside of time and recognize that the only thing keeping us, uh, the only thing really separating us from the Father is time. You know, in the Christian mm -hmm. reality, we're, we're looking forward to the millennial kingdom, and the millennial kingdom simply means a world where there is no time. Eternity yes, we have totally no uh, turned that thing upside down, because Second uh, Peter tells, and this goes back to my one day. Second mm -hmm. Peter tells us one day is as a thousand years. The one day is the restoration of heaven and earth, and the number one thousand or ten thousand or whatever simply means eternal, <laughs> that which is eternal. So it's not a specific thousand years that we're going to count out, and then at the end of that, you know, poof. It is that he. It's a description of the unity of heaven and earth, the temple, and uh, it is an eternal principle. Well, I want to come back to a couple of things in your book, but I, I kind of want to take a little detour, because as I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm kind of wondering, you, you were raised in a Jewish home, then you, you end up in in Israel, we've talked about this before, but all of a sudden you meet Messiah, okay? If you can remember what that was like, being raised in an Orthodox, were you an Orthodox Jewish no, home? No, I, I was raised in a conservative. Conser okay, so yeah. you're raised in a conservative Jewish home, and then all of a sudden this Jesus thing happens, and then all of a sudden you're able to connect him to his Jewish identity for the next 35 years. Can you just touch on that? Help us get into your mind a little bit about that whole experience. Uh, I'll try. That's a, kind of a big topic. Yes. But, uh, you know, I think the seeds that were planted as a child, because I went to an Orthodox Jewish summer camp, so we, you know, prayed regularly, we celebrated Shabbat, we ate kosher, all that sort of thing. And then I, when I was young, a young child, from about, I'm going to say, 6, 7, on up to 11, I went to Hebrew school. And I went to Hebrew school every day after school. So I learned Hebrew, but mostly what you learn when you go to Hebrew school is the, the prayers, the liturgy. And you do hear some of the stories. But I, I feel that that, even though I didn't understand it or anything for a lot of years, saying the liturgy, learning the liturgy, and 
because the liturgy is all about the King of Heaven. I mean, how many prayers do we have? Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the Universe. And so something stirred in there because of that. And I do remember as a child, pretty much every night before I went to bed, I just would talk to God. It's like he was there and I just talked to him. And I had a relationship with him probably from the time I was about four that I can remember. And then, you know, later on I went off into the hippie movement and, you know, studied New Age philosophies and all kinds of weird stuff. But in some sense, I mean, typical, typically Jews end up there, but in some sense it helped me to determine what I believed because I had to compare that young person with all these different systems and religions and stuff and see how it all matched up. So, you know, I was pretty well lost wandering Jew, and but definitely in search, <laughs> you know. And it was when I was, I was 29, and I'm not going to tell the whole story here, but uh, when I finally actually read the Bible, uh, the other half of the Bible, because I, I knew the Tanakh, but I had never read, I didn't, I'd never read the, the New Testament until I was 29. Well, let me just, just hang on for a second. That's kind of common in the Jewish culture, correct? Yes, yes, okay. yeah. Most would never have. But I always kind of hung around a lot of, you know, non-Jews. So, you know, even though, I mean, my, when, my, when I was young, my parents moved outside the city uh, where we lived to a neighborhood that was predominantly, you know, non-Jewish. So I was exposed to stuff. So, though, again, seeds were planted. But it was the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery, which mm -hmm. is kind of interesting because that's the Torah portion for this week, the Sota. And I did, I've got a teaching on my website that's free for everyone this week uh, called The Woman Caught in the Act of Adultery. It explains that in uh, the book of John. But John that was my moment. Yeah. That yeah. was when yeah. I go, wow, yeah, you sure? He's the Messiah. He's the king. Yes, I get it. Well, well, okay, that's that's too quick. What, well, what did I, you get? What did you get? I mean, what I happened? got that he he was the the person that I was looking for, the person that would heal and restore and forgive sin. I got. I mean, I just I got it. Were you uh, able he, to connect it to your your Hebrew upbringing at that point, or was that another journey? The beginning of another journey? Because was, let's let's face it. We're talking about a book full of Jewish people yeah. uh, in the New Testament. So yeah. you're Well, I knew that when I read it. Okay. So someone hands me, and I'm going, I get it. You know, I mean, everything was in the flavor of stuff. I mean, we celebrated the feasts when I was growing up, So, and the Shabbat. I mean, everything was in the flavor of what I knew. And I also knew that Yeshua was Jewish, and he lived in the land of Israel. Right. Uh, you know, amazing people don't connect that. But So that wasn't... That wasn't hard. So I understood that he was the Jewish Messiah. That was, but there, I mean, I, there was a whole lot of work ahead of me. Well, I mean, I'm just curious because I want to, I want to stay, stay here for just a moment. With all of the Messiahs that had claimed to be the Messiahs, both before he came and after he came, what was different about, about this moment? Because well, Jews, I do share. I share in my, uh, where to, I share, shared in um, some testimonies that, I had determined that there were three things. When I found the Messiah, the King, the one who I would worship, 
there were three things that had to, three conditions that had to be met. One, uh, it, it had to be something that was for everyone. Um, it had to be easy to understand. And it had to be based on love. So after going through Buddhism and Confucianism and Taoism and Sikhism and, you know, ism-ism, none of those matched up. Right. This person, by his act, uh, his, his treatment of the woman caught in the act of adultery, spoke, it all came home to roost at that moment. It made sense. When were you able to, um, to really see the connection of Yeshua to... All of the Tanakh. What was that instant, or was that over a period of 35 years? Explain that no, to your audience. I would say so. Early on, you have to understand. Back then, there was a no Hebrew roots movement, and the Messianic Jewish movement was kind of uh, in its infancy to a certain degree. Although it kind of it started around 67, but by the time late 70s, it's still not you know a dominant movement across the country. But I began to tap into organizations that were Jewish that believed in Yeshua. Now, I, you know, was with, uh, not with, per se, Jews for Jesus, which, you know, we won't discuss them. But they, there were, just wasn't anywhere for me to go. And I lived up in northern New Mexico in Taos where there was virtually nothing. But there were a bunch of Jews up there who had become believers, and so we were just trying to figure out our way. So we would have Bible studies, and, uh, you know, I just looked at it and go, okay, He's Jewish. This is a Jewish book. I know the first half of the Jewish book. How am I going to put the second half together? You know, how are they going to connect? And that was almost immediate. Uh, you know, I don't, I can't really remember because we're, you know, I was 29 years old. But I knew that's where I had to begin. I had to figure out because the Christian world was over here and the Jewish world, and there was no connection between the two. So how can I, you know, how can I build on that and, and bring a, and be a bridge between the two worlds? So for 35 years, in essence, your your study was motivated to that end. Yep, 100 percent. And you went through a lot of Christian churches. You were on staff. You rose up in ministry, and you oh, saw yeah. the, you saw the whole Christian world. Uh, that that's. That, that's almost kind of unique for people like me. I yeah. remember talking to a lady once. She said, Jeff, she said, my family's Jewish. We can count our lineage all the way back to, to uh, the time of Jesus, she said. And she said, and she just went through this whole thing, and she said, so w what does that make us? And I said, Christian. And she said, no, we've never been Christians. Right. We've been Jewish. And so... You've always been a Jew who accepted the 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 um the Jewish second half of the book, and yeah. so you wanted to kind of marry the Christian world to what they didn't know. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and I felt in some ways, although I would never compare myself to Paul, but I felt like I had been thrust into that world. It, it's not that the Father took me into the Jewish world to show them who Messiah was. It's that He took me into the Christian non-Jewish world to show them the Jewish side of things. Right. And that's, I mean, folks, that's really the heart and soul of why I, I'm doing this program. It's, both Dean and I have a passion for the Christian world to understand its foundation. 
and she's far better at explaining it than I am. But the father poured this into my head and said, go tell them to uncolor themselves from their racial identifications and put on the kingdom identification. And that's kind Amen. of, she spent 35 years doing that. And I've spent the last 10 years saying, listen, you're not a colored person. And if you are, it's a beautiful thing. You're a created person. And that's even more spectacular. So we do this show, her from a Jewish perspective, based on what she's just said, and me from a, a perspective of I'm part of the kingdom of of God, not the kingdom of race. That's right. that's so unique. Well, let, let, getting back to this show, we got five minutes left. Explain kala from from a Hebrew perspective. The word. Well, the word actually means bride or points to marriage, and what's so unique about it is it, it also means completed or finished, because obviously a marriage means the you know, completion of two. And the first place we find that, uh, you know, kind of hidden in the Hebrew, I suppose, in Genesis 2.1, thus were the heavens completed and all their hosts. And that word completed there comes, it is the root, it's kalah, which is a bride. So there's something being communicated about the marriage between heaven and earth. And we, and we don't even think about heaven and earth being married. But right. there is that, you know, it's a, that covenant relationship. And then a few verses down, it'll say, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. But the Hebrew word there is toldot, which comes from yalad, which means to give birth. So now we have the marriage in 2-1 and then a few verses down. Now we have the birth of the seed, the, the bearing of seed coming forth out of the heavens and the earth. So this is all birthing kingdom language right out of the gate. And so really the, the thrust of the Bible then becomes uh, creation and then new creation. It's all about producing life from beginning to end. Right. That is the core of who God is. Mm. You know, I, I, I so understand this. I was just writing the other day that, you know, every time I talk to anyone, we've been so conditioned to fit this into our filter. Right. Uh, whatever that may be, whatever denomination we spent years in, whatever sect of Judaism. And it's really, when you, if you talk about marriage, you see a man and a woman, but really the root of marriage is this whole thing. Yes, it's, it's to produce a house. A house, yeah. a family life. Yeah. yeah, and that's the heavens and earth. Do They are the pattern from which everything else flows. And that's why I say that learning about the temple, the house of God, so that his presence can dwell there. And and people will still say to me, well, that you know, that's just your filter. That's how you see it. But honestly, the whole, I you know, without a shadow of a doubt, the whole Bible is about the preservation of, of God's house and how that all fits together and when the house is broken as in what happened with Adam and Eve and is as in the various exiles that the heart of God is to rebuild the house so that life can come forward and and ultimately Yeshua was the house of houses he right. in his body is where heaven and earth came together the very message we have in Genesis 1 is fulfilled in his body and mm. He brought the S. Now, because of that, the presence of God dwelled in him because he was a temple and that's where the presence dwelled. And now he is thrust out 
and so now the presence of God is moving in the world through him as he passes it now on to his people, you know, us. Uh, we just don't act like it. But we are supposed to function in much the same way. I think if when people understand and learn about the temple, it will change their paradigm. It's already changing my world, and so I agree with that 100%. You, you said something just a moment ago, and I, I kind of want to address something. Uh, and Dean, I know you will agree with me. And we might go a couple minutes long, uh, worshiping Word Radio, just to let you know. Uh, you know, there are people that are being slaughtered. I mean, literally slaughtered. That's right. Wholesale slaughtering. Uh, because of what I do, I get videos from people of babies being, uh, you know, I don't want to get real graphic, but, but I think at some point we have to understand that there are people that are being massacred, mutilated all over the Middle East and all over the world. We see the things happening in England and London and Europe and uh, and even here. Uh, but the majority of the murders that are taking place are happening in the Arab world. And uh, I just I just want to want to say to to people who are part of this whole thing, if you have an issue with someone, if you have a problem, if there's some area of contention in your world, uh, deal with it because there are people whose lives are being yanked out of, their, out of this earth daily and they're not bickering about uh, some wrong that was done to them or some, some thing that was said or some pain that is now rising. They're not dealing with all those things. They're dealing with the loss and the brutality of the loss. Uh, I was listening to a, a woman in Iraq talking about uh, Ramadan and she says these people are not human. They're yeah. killing everything. They're, and she's, she's saying praise to Allah and she's desperate for somebody to help stop the slaughtering of life. Yeah. And Dina just got finished talking about life and we agree Dina. So I'm, I'm just encouraging us that are seeking this, that are chasing after the kingdom of God, don't allow your personalities and your pride and, and difficulties with people in your community or in your area, in your reach, in your family, to, to allow the enemy to come and sit in the middle of your situation. Don't do that. Don't do that. We, we have... North Korea threatening to annihilate hundreds of thousands of people in both Japan and North Korea, or South Korea and really around the world. And if that ever does happen, the people in South Korea have 30 minutes before hundreds of thousands of people are annihilated. So I'm just saying, you know, Dina, I don't mean to ramble on here, but please, if you've got problems with your brother and your sister. Deal with them in a loving, loyal way. Don't and people make don't worse. realize that those things cause division. And the name of the game with division is death. Yep. And it is the exact opposite of life and restoration and unity. Like and it's our choice in to change our behavior and bring uh, a restorative element to relationships instead of causing the death of relationships. And and I, I 
completely agree with that. I believe with all of my heart, with everything in my fiber, that, you know, we have to come together. The world hates us. And uh, if we hate each other, then we've got a great big problem. Yep. Dina, I want to close the show. If you could just, I want to ask you about Monica. You wrote about Monica, the last few pages of your book. Tell us who Monica is in about five minutes or less, if you would. Well, for those, she, I wrote about her in my epilogue because she was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. And Monica was really my, one of my biggest fans right out of the gate. And I tell the story, I was at a conference in Albuquerque and I wasn't invited to speak. This is way back in like 2009. And I'm sitting at my table and nobody's coming, you know, I just felt <laughs> totally marginalized. And up comes Monica and her family and she just was standing in front of me with this great smile on her face telling me how much they valued my material. Like, I didn't even know anyone had heard any of it. So it really touched me. And, and from that point on, we became good friends. And she, she lived here in, in the Albuquerque area. But she did all the, when my study to show yourself approved, she did all the formatting and, and everything for that book. And she was just behind me 100% in everything that I did. I, I you know, it's, it's hard to find people that really are so supportive. So when she was diagnosed, and she was only 44, I was just devastated. And uh, she went the alternative route, and in her case, you know, she and uh, she lost her life. Uh, it was January 25th, a year a year ago. But when I was writing, you know, the whole point of the book was to for people to understand the value of life and what it meant in their family and the and family relationships, etc. So I was writing the end of the book, <laughs> and there was Monica, just kind of days away, and she, you know, her life was taken, and I just, I knew that had to be the end of my book. So I wrote the story of, of how this, well, you know, I know we don't have a lot of time here, but uh, this woman kind of appeared into her hospital room, kind of in a whisper, it was on a Sunday, and you know, they. She said she'd come in there to clean, and she was, I don't know, doing a little tidying, and then, then she left, and then she came back in, and she just, when Monica's spirit was just kind of quiet, and then she could hear the message, life. You know, it was all about life, and so even though in the midst of death, um, she was trying to communicate about life, and this woman who, you know, they didn't have cleaning staff on Sundays and nobody could find her. She just kind of disappeared. But the message she poured into Monica was life. So I kept thinking she would be healed, right? <laughs> but I realized that the life that she was talking about wasn't this life. <laughs> that was the one on the other side. It was the life in the garden where she would be restored. And so it was kind of the, the closing message in the book. Folks, there you have it. Uh, I wanted to spend some time talking about the Temple Revealed and Creation uh, portrait of the family by Dr. Dina Dye. Dina Dye and I are becoming great friends. Um, this program is a blessing. And uh, hey, go man. to her website and get the book, uh, <clears throat> Foundations in Torah. She's going to be gone for the next couple of weeks, so I would encourage you to keep her, her mom, and her sister in prayer as they travel to Ireland. Uh, which is, you know, got a pretty big travel warning going on. <laughs> we won't talk so. about that. 
<laughs> so um, just keep her in your prayers, and thank you for hanging on a little longer today. Um, and we'll be back next week with uh, Ryan White. Amen. And we're going to talk gonna about great. new creation. Yeah. You have a safe trip, Dina. Thank you. God bless you, and right. uh, thank I'll you talk. so much. I'll send you pictures. Yeah, send me pictures, okay? <laughs> All right, everybody, we're okay. out of here. Shalom, okay. shalom. Bye-bye. Shalom, shalom.